0: The following message, entitled, God, Our Present Help, Part 48 of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Joe Ryer on the 24th of May, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Does anybody know what today is? It's a lot of things. But for pastors, we, we don't often do many things that, that actually have an end that you complete. So, so unlike a lot of other occupations where if I was a home builder, I'd build a house and I'd turn back and I'd look at the house and it's built, uh, we, oftentimes we are just encouraging and caring for people so we never get to complete things. Well, today we're going to complete the book of Romans. So it sort of feels like when I'm done mowing my lawn, we've actually made it to the end of something and we completed it. And so if this is your first Sunday, you came on the very last Sunday of the book of Romans. But it's a great Sunday to come because in this very last section, last three verses, Paul basically sums up his entire heart and intent of the letter to Romans. The title of the message is called, God, Our Present Help. And as we close the book of Romans and the series on Romans... I think from this passage, we're going to answer three ultimate questions that have a lot to do with our lives. So here's three questions to consider that I think will be answered from this passage. Will we make it as Christians? Will we make it? Will we actually make it to eternity with Jesus? Maybe a connected question is, is all that Paul just wrote about possible? He wrote a lot of things in the last 16 chapters, a lot of commands, a lot of exhortations to do certain things. And if we put them all on a long list, it could seem like a pretty overwhelming list. Is it all possible? Another question we're going to get the answer to in this passage is, where do we go to when we need to be strengthened as believers? Where do we go to for our help and our strength? And then a final question that maybe we don't think about as often is, who is all of this for? What are we doing all of this for? Why do we gather every Sunday? Why do you read your Bible on your own? Why do you try to obey the Bible on your own? Who is this for? Why are we doing all this? Why, right now, throughout town and really throughout the country and throughout the world, there are Christians gathered around God's Word, singing songs like we just sang. What? Why are we doing all this? I think we're going to get the answer in these verses. Let's pray. we read the passage first, and then we'll pray. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known, To all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word has all the answers to all the important questions of life. And Lord, this passage is no exception, and in fact, seems like it is a condensed version of many of the truths that are recorded in your book. And Holy Spirit, we pray, I pray that you would help me to teach and proclaim and explain the truths that are found in your verses. Holy Spirit, would you give us faith to believe in you, Jesus, and what you have done for us and how much you love us. Would you give us grace to Find our joy in You alone and our strength in You alone. And we look to You for help. Lord, help us to cast all distractions and fears and worries and anxieties upon You, even as we prepare to listen to Your Word. Jesus, thank You that You love us. And we ask this in Your name. Amen. So the title of the message is God, Our Present Help. God, Our Present Help. First point is God alone is able to strengthen you. God alone is able to strengthen you. And I get that from verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. So it's not a very complicated point. God alone is able to strengthen you. Paul closes the letter to the Romans, to the church in Rome. He wants them to think about the Lord. It says, now to Him, in light of all I wrote about, in light of all I've taught, now to Him who is able to strengthen you. And that word able there, in some translations, it may may be written as, who is able to give you power. It's, It's the word for power in the original language. And so it might, might come across as a little weak when we think of the word able. Like, are you able to walk to the mailbox? This is a much stronger word than able. This is, now to Him who is able to give you power, who is the powerful God, the Creator of the world, He's able to strengthen you. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, we must entrust ourselves to God who is able. He's able to help you as an individual follower of Jesus Christ. He's able to help us as a local church to love one another and make disciples. He's able to help us as a church in Indiana County with all the local churches to make a big impact in this area. And as I said at the outset, in the the book of Romans, there are so many different things that, that Paul tells us. One of the primary things he talks about for the church in Rome is Jewish and Gentile Christians were put together. And their backgrounds and their sins and their preferences and how they approach God which is totally different because of their backgrounds. And Paul tells them to work it out, be united, love one another. And then Paul tells us to no longer live like our old nature tells us to. We're no longer slaves. We, we've been freed and we're to live as freed men and women who have a power from the Holy Spirit to obey. And then we get into to Romans chapter 12 and it's just this litany of commands of things that we're supposed to do and how we're to treat one another. Well, that can feel impossible at times. And so we need to look to the Lord God for strength and help. He's our go-to source. And think of it this way. When you became a Christian, God adopted you into His family. You're His adopted son or daughter. And He finds great delight in you. And as we continue in that relationship, we find out more about our Father. We learn a lot more about Him. That that first moment you trusted in Christ, you were adopted. But now we get to spend year after year after year after year learning about our awesome Father. One of the surprises for me as a Christian, a new Christian at, at the time, was that not only did God save me and forgive me, but as it says in Zephaniah, He actually delights in me. He finds joy in me as one of His sons. Yesterday, my family and I were swimming at Mac Pool, and I was in the locker room with my youngest son, Adam, who's seven years old, and it was after we were done swimming, and he's, he's dressed, he's now warmed up, and he's just looking in the mirror and dancing and laughing at himself. And I thought, I find great delight in my son. It was just a, a fatherly moment that I'm so thankful to be a dad, I'm so thankful to be his dad. And there was just a pure joy in watching Him be my son. Well, do you think that the Lord sees you that way? Because that's the way He sees you. He finds great delight in you. And so when we talk about going to God for our help and strength for this Christian life, we're not going to this cold, cruel judge who's behind this large, massive desk with a gown and a gavel who doesn't want to hear anything you have to say, or doesn't even care about you. No, we're going to a Father who did all of this work to send His Son into the world to rescue you. To, to have His Son die for you. To have His Son pay for your sins. To have His Son make it possible for your adoption. And so it's with great joy that all of heaven celebrated when you trusted in Christ. And it's with great joy that God, your Father, hears you when you call to Him. So when I talk about, now to Him who's able to give you strength, it's your Father, God, the Maker of heaven and earth. Not only is He loving, not only is He kind, not only is He merciful, but He is powerful. He is unlimited in His power. There is no end to His power. So He's all wise. He's all knowing. He's all loving. He's all powerful. So think about the cares and concerns you came into this room with this morning. And then think about talking to your Father it was all the things I just said He was. And it changes Everything. Because we're casting our cares, we're making our prayers to the One who is our loving, powerful Father. And we need to remember, as Christians, He has to be our go-to strength. Let me encourage you, as, as pressures mount, or fears mount, or worry mounts, or the pressure of life mounts, or the pressure of just financial strain or relational strife, or physical ailments mount. I think we can all have a temptation as believers in Jesus to go to other things for relief. It could be alcohol. It could be pain medicine. It could be other drugs. It could be just numbing our mind with something that's not inherently wrong. But it's where we go to for help and strength and relief. All the while, your Heavenly Father has arms stretched out he is ready for you. He wants you to come, and He wants, you to, he wants to help you. And so let me encourage you, when, when you feel those things, it's not wrong to do recreational things that are not sinful, and it can be a gift from God. But if the regular pattern, when pressure comes, and weight is put on you, if you go somewhere else, then God, you are missing out on joy. You are missing out on the life that God promises through Jesus Christ. And so let me encourage you, run to Him who, He's the only one. That's why I said God alone is the only one who can ultimately strengthen us. So where do you go as a Christian? I know many of you go to the Lord. But I, I've noticed at times that as pressure mounts, particularly when it gets harder, there's sort of a divide among true Christians. Some go really towards the Lord. Some go away from the Lord, thinking, I could go to Him when things were going well, but I can't go to Him now. It's just the exact opposite. We need to go to Him always. Philippians 4, Paul writes this incredible few verses of of help for us as Christians. These verses I'm about to read, I have spent so much time in as an individual Christian. If my Bible was like a, a forest and there were trails all through it, if you got to this passage, it would be the most well-worn, or at least one of the most well-worn passages or paths in my Bible because I have just walked through it over and over and over again and experienced the promise that's in it. Philippians 4. This is true, even what I'm about to say. If you're a believer in Jesus, this first command is is a call to you as a believer in Jesus, no matter what is happening in your life. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. You might be thinking don't know how hard my life is right now you don't know how much pain and sadness and sorrow i'm going through right now and i probably don't but i do know if you are a believer in jesus it's not just words that you are an adopted son or daughter it is the absolute truth and so you have a caring loving powerful father Your sins are paid in full. You're going to make it to heaven. You will be with God and His people forever. And so He calls us to rejoice because of that. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. In other words, when pressures and strife and strain happen, and you respond in a supernatural way, that there's joy coming out rather than grumbling. There's Forgiveness coming out rather than bitterness. Well, let that be known to everyone. That God made that possible. Jesus changed you. The Holy Spirit's at work in your life. And then these five words. The Lord is at hand. These five words are so important as we walk through life. Think about what you're most concerned about right now. Whether it's a personal thing, a thing in the church, a thing at your workplace, a thing in your extended family, a thing in your neighborhood. It changes the perspective if you believe these five words. The Lord is at hand. He is here. He is near. He is at work. Those five words have helped me with a whole variety of, of trials and sadness and unexpected things. The Lord is at hand. Then He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. God alone is able to strengthen us, so it's to God alone that we should make our requests. Prayer is regular communion with God. Supplication is specific request." So whatever is most pressing on your mind, ask the Lord to sort out that situation, to meet the need that only He can meet. Let your requests be known to God. Now this isn't in the passage, but let it be known to God, (parentheses who is your Father. Let it be known to God who is your Savior. Let it be known to God the Holy Spirit who dwells, Inside of you. And here's what will happen. As we go to God alone for strength. And the peace of God. Which surpasses. All understanding. Will guard. Your hearts. And your minds. In Christ Jesus. This supernatural. Experience of God's peace. Which surpasses our understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like a centurion soldier sitting outside the jail cell. God's peace will do that to our hearts. It will guide us. It will guard us. It will watch over us. And even if your circumstances never change, you will change. If you're going to God alone for strength, there will be this unexplainable peace, and deep beneath the sorrow will be a real solid joy and hope that only Christians can have, that only Jesus makes possible. So go to God alone who is able to strengthen us. Now the second point, which is closely connected, is God alone strengthens us through the news of Jesus Christ. God alone strengthens us through the news of Jesus Christ. There are many ways in the Bible that God strengthens us, but Paul highlights one in particular way at the close of the book of Romans. So this isn't to exclude the others, but this is a primary way in the Bible and in the New Testament primarily. God alone strengthens us through the news of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 25. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So he said, God alone is able to strengthen you. How does He do it? According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. In other words, one of the primary ways as Christians that we are strengthened is through the objective accomplishments of Jesus. You might be thinking, that doesn't help me. What does that mean? We are strengthened as we think about, as we sing about, as we meditate, as we study, as we recall, as we remember what Jesus has done for us. Not just as the entry point of salvation, but there's no ongoing salvation, there's no being with God in eternity Without the gospel. And so this is the good news. And it really is news. And so when Paul says, this is my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, what he's talking about there is he has so dedicated his life to preaching Jesus. This message of good news. That he has so internalized it and personalized it that he even owns it as his own. It's not his gospel it's god's gospel it's not different than the gospel throughout the new testament but he is so committed to this news in fact when he went to the christians in corinth he spent 18 months he said i resolved to know nothing among you while i was with you except jesus christ and him crucified day after day week after week proclaiming and preaching this good news Before we talk about how it will strengthen you I just want you to hear from God's Word what the gospel is. Paul writes in first corinthians fifteen one through six chapter fifteen one through six and I understand that most of you might be thinking, well, we know what the gospel is. we get it, we've heard it, we keep hearing it we By the grace of God, we want you to hear it over and over again. As I I was studying for this message, I came across an R.C. Sproul quote. He said, for the Christian to understand justification by faith alone, meaning we believe in Jesus, we've been declared righteous, he said we can get that pretty quickly. But he said it takes years and years to get into our bloodstream, to be part of the fabric of who we are, to to war against this good day, bad day mentality as Christians. Which I think we all do. So, think about this honestly. Are you more confident to pray and approach God when you've been reading His Word? When there's no major gross disqualifying sin that's occurred in your life? When you've shared the Gospel with someone? When you prayed for someone? When you would helped someone? Are you more likely to approach Him than on the days where you woke up late for work? You yelled at one of your children. You you had an opportunity to share the gospel and you were afraid, so you didn't do it. And then you went home and you yelled at the same child again. And then you thought, hey, I should read the Bible, but I'm going to watch TV instead. And then you just went to bed. Are you as bold those days as you are in your good days? Because the gospel is this objective reality that Jesus opened the way for you and I to pray, to come to God boldly, all times. 24-7 access. And so because we can slip into works mentality, because we can slip into a works-based relationship with the Lord, we need to be reminded of the Gospel. Now that doesn't mean our good deeds don't matter. They, They hugely matter. But they don't matter in God's courtroom, because Jesus took the punishment in the courtroom. We have been forgiven and free because Christ died as our substitute. So Paul says, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the Word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also... Received. Here's the core. Christ, Jesus the Messiah, died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried. Then He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to me, more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of the writing, though some have fallen asleep. This message just captured Paul's heart. He was a Jew. He was devoted to the Old Testament law. And when he discovered by Jesus that Jesus made an end to the law, that by faith alone in Jesus, not by the works of the law, one can be declared righteous for all, it changed everything for him. And when, when he writes in chapter 16 about proclaiming this news the picture you get that from the day that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus to the day that he was killed for his faith, it was always news to him. It was always good, incredible, life-changing, soul-saving news. It wasn't like 12 years into it, he shows up at a meeting, we're all here, most of us don't know the Lord, and he just says, Hey guys, Jesus died for your sins. You need to trust in Him. If you do, you have eternal life. And I'm going to go to the next synagogue. I'll see you guys later. No, it was always news. He was say, guess what? Guess what Jesus showed me from the Old Testament? Guess what is in this book? Guess what I have to tell you? Those of you who have been so ensnared in sin and so tangled up in all kinds of religions and philosophies, those of you who are good Jews trying to keep the law, i got news for you. Jesus paid for it all. Jesus opened the way. It is news. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be so excited that we believe this news. And what I don't want us to have when we get there is this regret that we didn't tell this news more often. This is news. Before it is theology to be studied, before it's theology to be debated, it is news. Good news. And we have it. We had a man, he's, he's not here right now, because he had to run, but he showed up at the church this morning, He doesn't know Jesus. His life is in turmoil. I just met him this morning. and I get to tell him the good news that we're going to pray for all those things you just shared with me. But here's good news that will help not just your present circumstances, but if you believe in this news, you can be with God forever and eternity. We have news to share. And so God strengthens us with this good news. I'll show you a couple ways. In First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty two through twenty four, Paul says, Jews demand a sign, meaning they were waiting for the Messiah and they thought it had to be a, fit a certain framework in their mind. Jesus didn't fit that framework. And Greeks seek wisdom. So they were the sophisticated Greeks of the day. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews. So some Jews thought there's no way a Messiah could be murdered and die between criminals. No way. And he says folly to the Gentiles. To the sophisticated Intelligent group. You believe in what? You trust in a man who lived 2,000 years ago? Who lived a perfect life? Who died as your substitute? That's your hope? That is our hope. Verse 24, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In believing this message, we have experienced the power of God and the wisdom of God. Our lives have been changed because of Jesus. And if you have not yet trusted in Jesus, if you believe in Him, if you turn to Him, if you call out to Him, He will save you. He's the answer that you have been looking for. He's the hope that you need. And it's going to be found in Him and Him alone. This is why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Did you catch that? It's the power of God for salvation. So as we return, we revisit, we meditate, we sing, we study, we read the Bible, we think about the good news that we have received. God will use it to strengthen you, to encourage you. Because in this Gospel comes... A thousand benefits that the Bible tells us about. And a thousand hopes. And the certainty that once you're saved by Jesus, He'll never lose you. He will keep you. He's the Good Shepherd written about in Psalm 23. He's the one who's going to make it. He's going to make sure that each of us get there. And so if there's a healthy group of us, Running ahead, and there's one of us who is just crawling and stumbling and falling backward, Jesus will go back and get us. Well, we know that because of the gospel. We know that because He's the Savior. This past week, I was watching a YouTube video um, about an ultra marathon race that maybe most of you aren't interested in, but it's a 100 mile race, and it was a home video. And I, I just kind of stumbled upon it and I was watching the video and there was a guy probably about my age, maybe a little bit older. He had run a number of these ultra marathons, 100 plus miles. So at the beginning of the race, he's videoing. He said, I always get a little nervous, but he's pretty confident of the race. He had run these kind of races many times before. He had finished. He had done very well. And so the video kind of tracks the race. It's only a six minute video, but you dip into different parts of this race. At the 12 mile mark, he's smiling, he's a bit overconfident, he's, he's excited, he's talking to his parents, um, and then it just kind of you know, goes dark for a little bit. Then at the 50-mile mark, it's like a different man. His head is hung, he looks scared, he looks despairing, he talks to his parents again, he said, I don't know what happened, my legs no longer work, my body is breaking down, he looked fearful, he looked like, There's no way I'm going to run 50 more miles. Then the video fades out. I'm thinking, well, maybe he didn't finish. 75 mile mark, different guy shows up again. He's now got energy. His stride has changed. He said, I don't know what happened. My legs came back. And he finished the race. He did fairly well. Well, I think that's a picture of our Christian life. That when many of us first trusted in Christ, we're maybe overconfident in ourselves. We're excited. We think this will be really easy. I remember um, one, one person gave me a book one time when I first became a Christian. It was called The Fight. And, and the Christian, as he handed it to me, he was also a new Christian. He said, this should just be called The Walk. It shouldn't be called The Fight because we don't really have to fight anything. We just have to walk and follow Jesus. Now, 19 years later, I think The Fight was a, 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 fitting, a fitting title for a book describing what the Christian life is like. Because we can feel at times like that guy at the 50 mile mark. Like, what in the world happened? This is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And I don't think I'm going to make it anymore. Self-confidence is just weaned away. And then, if we're strengthened by the Gospel and by the Holy Spirit, we're also like that man at the 75 mile mark. Now, decades later, wow, the Lord has given me strength. There's more strength in my legs than I ever thought was possible. I couldn't even do this in my 20s. What happened? Well, we've been strengthened by God. And that's the importance of going back and revisiting these central primary truths of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul wants us to get. And he wants us to understand this good news He says this throughout the letter, so I'm just going to mention it briefly. But in verse 25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God. So God strengthens us through this news of Jesus Christ And Paul, like he does throughout the letters, he wants us to know that there was a time when this message was hidden and people couldn't see it. There was a time, even in the writing of the Old Testament, where though Jesus is clearly written about, people couldn't see it. People didn't understand. They stumbled over it. So even verses like Isaiah 53 that you and I read and we think, this is Jesus, without a doubt. Isaiah 53, 5-6 says, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord, as Jesus was laying on the cross, has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So we read that through a New Testament lens and say that's clearly writing about Jesus. But even in Paul's day, even near the end of his life, there were many Jews that couldn't fathom a Messiah who had to suffer, bleed, and die. And so what God did, the eternal God, he, He devised this plan and now He has put it out in the open. And and so the two things that were hardest to see were, one, that Jesus was the Messiah, but the way He would rule and the way He would gather a people wasn't first by a triumphal entry and an earthly kingship. It was by living perfect and being mocked and beaten and ridiculed and being pierced and being punished for sins he did not do and then gathering up a bride for himself so that was that was hard to see the other thing that was hard to see from the old testament even though it is clearly there and plainly there is that the messiah jesus the promised deliverer was for every nation it wasn't just for a specific group of people but it was for all people And as you read the Old Testament, look for the phrase all nations or all people. Look for people like Rahab, who not only were not Jewish, but were immoral and were brought into God's family. Because it has always been God's plan to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Paul wants us to get this as, as we close in Romans. He said, verse 26, It's now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations. This news that we're talking about is news for everyone. Every single man or woman. As Mark prayed for the persecuted church and for the, the, the people that are inflicting harm, It's good news for everyone. There's no one that cannot be saved by Jesus Christ. And it's always been God's plan. It's not just for churchgoers. not just for the religious. It's not just for people who have studied and grown up with this book. It's for all people. And so as we think about this, I want to encourage you to share this with all people. All people. The most intelligent, brightest, hardened atheist that you know. This is good news for them. The most drug enslaved, messed up their lives a thousand times over and the lives of their family members. This is good news for them. This week, I got to go to our local drug and alcohol treatment center, an inpatient treatment center. And I go most weeks, and this week there are about 20 men and women. Most have been in the state prison system. Most are there because of crimes related to drug and alcohol abuse and use. And when I tell them that if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, that all their sin, their shame, their regret, their hurt, their pain can be swallowed up by Jesus Christ. Some of them swear because they can't believe it's such good news. Like, you can't be serious. You're telling me that everything I've ever done wrong, even the worst, most heinous crime and sin I've ever committed, Jesus will pay for and God will forgive? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's for all people. And so we want to be a church that shares it with all people. Let's never be the judge of who's going to respond to the gospel and who's not. We want to share it with everybody. All people. Don't think, well, I think they're close. We don't know if they're close. We know the gospel is powerful. So we're going to share it. And here's what Paul said in Romans 3. This is why he was so excited to tell the news of Jesus to everyone, Romans 3:21. "But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe." Paul was just staggered by this reality. That there is a righteousness in Jesus Christ. A provision for every sinner. That they can be clothed and covered by Jesus' perfect obedience. That is awesome good news. And may that good news strengthen you. And then the final question that we're going to answer from this passage is who is this all for? Why are we doing this? Why are we gathering Week after week. Why are we reading the Bible? Why do you read your Bible on your own? Why, why do we even want to tell other people about Jesus? Why do we do all this? Well, we do it all because God deserves worship and glory. And this is the final point. God alone deserves the glory. Look at verse 27. Paul ends this incredible letter by saying, To the only wise God be glory Forevermore through Jesus Christ. Why are we doing all this? We're doing it all for God's glory. I mean, think about it this way. Think of the most some of the most powerful kings and leaders in all of history. They've often used their power to oppress people and suppress people and exert their power on their subjects. Think about what God has done and is doing with His power. He takes people like us, who are lost and without hope, many of us ensnared in all kinds of sins. He saves us. He puts His Spirit inside of us. He makes us new creations. He gives us new spiritual life. And then He changes us slowly over time. And then He puts us in a large group and says, Love one another. And work it out. And then He gives us power to actually do that. Well, He uses His power for His people. To gather His people together. And our response should be to give Him glory. Should be to worship Him. The reason we want to share the Gospel is so that more people worship God. Because He is worthy of worship. I want to just close this morning with two passages one that I want you to personalize because I think it has the intended effect that all of this ultimately is for God and caused by God. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's writing to a messy church, a messy group of people. And he says this. He says in verse chapter 1, verse 26, he says, For consider your calling. This is your calling to salvation. So if you're a believer, consider how that happened. to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you hear how many times God is mentioned in your salvation story. God chose you. God loved you. God sought you out. God sent his son for us. And then this last verse, then I'll pray and the band can come up. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10. But you but you are a chosen race, a royal Priesthood. We have full access to God. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you are have received mercy. Let's give Him all the glory. And as Paul said at the close of Romans, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Let's have the band come up. I'm going to pray and we can stand to sing. Lord, we give You all glory and honor. Thank You for devising this plan of salvation that only You could come up with. Thank You for including us in it. Lord, we pray for Your fame and glory that every church in this area would proclaim Your good news and You would fill every building so that You would receive glory and honor and worship. And Lord, as we sing this final song, give us faith and grateful hearts as we sing to You the eternal God who has loved us and adopted us Lord, we give you all the praise and honor. And Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.